welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, hey, good morning again. Hope you're doing well. If you haven't been with us lately, we're in a series on Jesus as the revelation of life. We all want life, but we don't always know where to find it, and we don't always know what that looks like. And so in this series, we're seeing what we can learn about what life should look like by looking at the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, because he said that he came, actually, that we might have life to the full. And so that's what we're looking at. Now, I grew up in a Christian home, and I I grew up going to church, and so I was taught as a kid, and I'm so thankful I was, I was taught as a kid uh, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and if that, and if I accepted that and invited Him into my life, that I would, that I would go to heaven when I died. And 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 so as a kid, I I, I did that. I invited Jesus into my life, and I'm so glad I did because that was kind of the beginning of the seeds of spiritual life for me. Uh, but the problem is that I never really understood how Jesus, because for me the story stopped there. And so I never really understood how Jesus related to my life here and now. And so over time, I I just sort of defaulted to the messages and the models of the world around me, to what I saw on the movies, to what I saw on MTV, to what I saw in the lives of my older brothers, who at that time were not the best role models. Um, But one of the things that happened when I was in college is that I actually started reading the Bible like for myself. And, 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 and through that, I came to see that not only is Jesus Savior, he is that, but in addition to that, that he is actually the one who really knows what life is about. And that through his teaching and, and, and actually through his life, that he actually shows us uh, what, what our lives are to be like, that he's actually a, a model for us. And, and that insight was, was a total game changer for me. Now, of course, there's some things about Jesus' life that are unique to him. He is the unique Savior. He is the one and only Messiah, right? But on the other hand, there is so much about Jesus' life that is actually a model for us. And so if you haven't been with us, I'll share just a, just a couple thoughts on this. So, for example, in John chapter 13, verse 15, this is at the Last Supper, Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet, and then he says to them, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. In other words, he's saying my very life, it's actually a model for you. He also told his early followers, he said, follow me. He didn't just say, believe in me. He also said, follow me. In other words, in terms of his overall manner of life. And another example is uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, where the apostle Paul says, He says of himself, he says, follow me, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so what this shows us is that Jesus' life is actually a model for us and of what life should look like. And I think for many of us, this is kind of an intuitive thing. Uh, You might remember, uh, I don't know, the uh, 1980s uh, bracelet WWJD, right? right? And that stands for 
what would Jesus do, right? So I think, again, we kind of intuitively have this idea that Jesus, he's actually a model for us. You look at kind of the history of devotional literature. There's a famous book from, I think it's the 1400s, by a guy named Thomas Kempis called The Imitation of Christ. And, and that's all about this idea, again, that Jesus, he's, he's actually a model for us, that we are to imitate his life, okay? A more recent uh, example is kind of the recent spiritual formation literature, um, which really has this theme. Uh, here's a quote from Dallas Willard. And he says, Jesus came among us to show and teach the life for which we were made. Indeed, by taking the title Son of Man, he staked his claim to be all that the human being was originally supposed to be, and surely much more. So I I just share all this to give you a sense that that kind of the premise behind this series is that Jesus is is actually the revelation of life. Now, he's also the revelation of who God is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, But in this series, kind of the angle we're looking at is how he also shows us about who we're called to be because he was fully God, but also fully human being. He lived a human life. He was born. He got tired. He ate. He slept. And he even died on the cross for you and me. But we're looking right now again at his life as, as, as a revelation of what our life uh, is to be as well. So last week we talked about finding life and, and we saw that in his earthly ministry that Jesus found his life in the presence of his father through prayer, that he lived a lifestyle of prayer and that this is actually what fueled his life and his ministry. And, and the point last week was very simply that if Jesus, who is the son of God, if he thought he needed to live a lifestyle of prayer, if he needed to come regularly into the presence of his father, how much more so do we? How much more so do we? And so that's what we uh, looked at last week. Now, last week I received an email from a congregant which is super encouraging. And she was sharing about how in this season, she's been pressing into prayer, kind of in the way we talked about it last week is sort of kind of a lifestyle of prayer. And so it was just so encouraging that I wanted to invite her up to share with us. So I want to invite you to join me in welcoming up our friend, Rebecca Jen. <laughs> a little intimidating to stand on the pulpit, but I guess I'm here. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to read an email that I sent to Pastor Michael last week. Um, just, it'll help my words. But um, So I said, hey, Pastor Michael, first I want to say how much I appreciate your message this last week. It's been a true gift amidst the challenges lately to continue to bring myself before God, especially to be in the well of life. Along those lines, I wanted to share with you my experience this summer, this last summer, um, as at the end of June to the beginning of July, I attended a prayer intensive by the Pasadena International House of Prayer. I attended a webinar of the sessions, which saved a lot of of gas money and and on registration, but I was no less blessed. During this time, I learned so much about prayer, about God's own heart for prayer, in the examples of King David, Anna, and Mary of Bethany. I also heard the testimonies of a few leaders in the IHOP movement from Texas, New Jersey, Pasadena, Anaheim, and even Tajikistan. Although I was hesitant at first to attend the seminar, I realized that I was soaking even more in the movement of God, of prayer, who is even more attentive to the prayers of his people and is encouraging his people to pray via supernatural ways. By the end of the intensive, I didn't know what to do with the information. I was tempted to go on my weary way, but instead turned to God in a moment of humility. What should I do, Lord? The intensive was amazing, and I learned so much. What would you have me do? And he showed me two hours of prayer, like the two hours set at a house of prayer, but just with myself every day. I didn't have a job at the time, so I agreed. It would add structure to my days as well as put into practice what I had learned. So I did that for the month of July. 
um, what Pastor Michael said in his sermon last week about six to six ten minute prayer times with God is so different than having one hour is so true. Two hours of prayer with God is so different from having one hour of devotion and Bible study or reading. Um, I wasn't perfect. When I figured out where I wanted to be for these two hours, I would fall asleep during prayer. I would pray for 30 minutes and get bored. My mind wandered. But God, in his grace, I found myself drinking from a deep well of refreshment, sometimes in anguish, but always in love. Most of the days I would practice, I would pray for an hour and then read for the next. Once I was experiencing so much grief, I needed those two hours just to mourn and journal. In a more general sense, I worked out a prayer schedule to pray by theme, two days for each area of my life in which I care for, for friends, for families, for ministries, the vine, laundry shower ministry, etc. At the end of the month of July, August um, sped up for me quite drastically, but I think the main things I took away from July is a sense of constant connection with God, a recognition of when my soul feels squeezed from the cares of the world and speed of it. I know when I need time with my Abba to expand, to truly abide in the vine. All of the I am statements of John have become more real in my life, I think. Um, So I sent this to Pastor Michael to encourage him in his sermons and as our church leader. But to my church family, um, I want to encourage you guys too. Prayer isn't just for the elite or for Pastor Michael, but a life of prayer is a must for all. As Paul says, pray unceasingly. So my encouragement to you would be trying to pray for half an hour in the morning or five minutes during your break. Um, The only place you can go towards Jesus, so it's worth a little bit of trying, right? (laughs) So, thank you. Amen. Thank you so much, Rebecca. So encouraging. Well, today we're continuing this series, and what we're looking at today is how Jesus lived a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, and how we are called to live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit as well. And we're going to cover a lot of ground, so you might need to buckle up here, and uh, we're going to kind of do kind of a a whirlwind tour through a lot of scripture, but I I really hope this will be encouraging uh, for you. So here's the first point, and it's very simple, and it's that during his earthly life in ministry that Jesus relied upon the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus relied upon the empowering of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he he didn't primarily rely on his own divinity. Again, he's fully God, but he didn't rely primarily on his own divinity, his own divine nature, but that he predominantly lived his earthly life in reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Thomas Oden, who's a major theologian, I'll make some quotes in here. He says this, He says, as a man, Jesus walked day by day in radical dependence upon God the Spirit, prayed and spoke by the power of the Spirit. So his point is is simply this, that Jesus lived, he lived his earthly life primarily relying on the Holy Spirit, not on his own divine resources. And the implication for us of that is that therefore he can actually serve as a model for us, okay? Now, now the Holy Spirit uh, empowered Jesus, and he wants to empower us for many things. And so, for example, a moment ago, we read the account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. So I believe the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to resist those temptations. I believe the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to persevere in the Garden of Gethsemane. So the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus in many ways, uh, but he also empowered him for what we might call supernatural ministry. I don't know if that's the best language for it, but, but here's what I mean. 
When you look at the, the ministry of Jesus, if you just kind of scan through the Gospels, the accounts of his life, you will see many things like, like healing the sick, uh, uh, casting out demons, of where he had supernatural knowledge of someone's life. Like, for example, the woman at the well, who, who, and that really opened her up to the Gospel. She said, come, she went to her whole village, come meet this man who told me everything I ever did. You see, and so we see these sorts of things in his life. His life was a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, I just want to walk through some scriptures to unpack this, and we'll talk about how this applies to us. Uh, but first, let me reread to you from Luke uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 21 and 22. And it says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And note this, as he was praying, heaven was opened. Not a coincidence, it was when he was praying. But, and the Holy Spirit says, descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Then down in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. See, that's an image of dependence. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry, and that is the understatement of the year. (laughs) Then down in verses 14 through 15, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in what? The power of the Spirit. No, not on his own power, but the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And so what we see here is that what precipitates and undergirds Jesus' ministry is actually the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that that Jesus relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. And just in the first four chapters of Luke, there are 12 references to the Holy Spirit. 12 references. It's a major theme that Jesus lived this life of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And all four of the Gospels, which are biographies about the life of Jesus, uh, emphasize the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life and ministry. And uh, of course, if you read, as I mentioned ago, a moment ago, if you read through the Gospels, it, you'll see uh, you know, Jesus healing the sick and again, driving out evil spirits and miracles and, and supernatural knowledge. And, uh, but I think when we, when we see these kinds of things in Scripture, I think the temptation can be to sort of chalk all that up to the fact that Jesus was God. I think, well, well, he's God. Well, of course, right? Uh, but, but what if these things were not primarily a manifestation of his deity, but were actually expressions of his reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Actually, that's what we see in the scriptures. Uh, here, here's an example, Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus said, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, Jesus is saying that his deliverance ministry was not by his own power. He had the power, but it wasn't by his own power. It was actually by reliance upon the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's another example. This is a fascinating verse. Uh, Never heard anyone preach on this, but here's a fascinating verse. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And it says, one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, and, and I think it's a shocking verse for, for so many of us, I think because we assume that, that Jesus' healing was simply in virtue of his being God, 
But what this is saying is that on this particular day, Jesus was able to heal many people. And the reason is, quote, because the power of the Lord was with him. In other words, the power of the Father through the Holy Spirit. And, and so what these verses illustrate is that Jesus, although he had all power, he actually, through his earthly life and ministry, he relied predominantly on the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I just, again, that might be a new way of thinking for you, but I think actually this is really insightful because this actually, what this means is that therefore, in, in, in these ways, that Jesus actually can be a model for us. And we'll talk about that in a moment. One last scripture. This is from Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And this is from a sermon that the apostle Peter gave. He's in the house of a guy named Cornelius. And so he's giving kind of a little mini sermon to Cornelius and his household. And, and, and he sums up Jesus' ministry. And Peter describes, quote, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because he was God, well, he was, but, but that's not what Peter says. He said, it's, quote, because God was with him. In other words, God the Father through the Spirit. So isn't that fascinating? I think that's so fascinating. Now, if we had more time, there are many, many other passages we could look at, but I want to read to you a quote just to kind of sum this up. It's from my friend Klaus Isler, who's a professor at Biola University, and he says this. He says, Jesus Christ's supernaturally oriented life on this earth resulted from his predominant dependence, he's an academic, from his predominant dependence on the divine resources of the Father and of the Holy Spirit while employing his own divine powers infrequently, if at all. And he goes on to say, without an appreciation of the dependence Jesus exercised on the Father and the Spirit, it is not possible to understand how Jesus can be our genuine example. That's a really, it's kind of meaty, but that's an important quote. Again, what he's saying is that Jesus, through his earthly life and ministry, he relied primarily on the power of the Spirit, on the Father. And, 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 and therefore, the implication is that the, he can be a model for us. Now, again, I think the temptation can be to think, well, what, what does this have to do with us? And I really think the answer is everything. Everything. Why? Well, because Jesus actually promised his followers, that they too would, would, would experience the power that he himself relied on. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 12. This is staggering. Jesus says, very truly, he's speaking to his followers. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, not just some who believe in me, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. What had he been doing? Well, lots of things. He had compassion for the poor. He preached the gospel. But what we sometimes overlook, he also healed the sick, he drove out evil spirits, he was operating in, 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 in these kind of overtly supernatural ways. And he goes on to say, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now that's just mind-blowing, right? That's just mind-blowing. Now I would be just stoked just to do what Jesus did, but even greater things, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a whole other deal, but just I would be so stoked just to do what he did. And, and, and just so we know that this isn't a one-off, he reiterates this promise. And so after his resurrection, uh, Jesus, he, he told his followers to wait in Jerusalem and in Luke 24, verse 49, he says, again, this is a promise. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with what? With power from on high. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he reiterates this. 
He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what we see here very clearly is that the power we're talking about, it's not power for a spectacle. It's not for entertainment. This is for the purpose of the mission of the gospel of the kingdom of God. So there's a very particular uh, focus or, or kind of uh, purpose in uh, this power. Okay, now fast forward. So Jesus, he ascends to heaven and he does exactly what he promised. He, he sent the Holy Spirit. He poured out the Holy Spirit in power upon the early church. Pentecost happened and there's this power released in the early church. But the story doesn't stop there. As you, as you keep reading, it just, it just keeps going. And as you read through the story of Scripture, you see the power, very clearly, the power of the Holy Spirit at work through the early church. Andrew Wilson, who wrote a great little book recently uh, called Spirit and Sacrament, he, he sums it up like this. He essentially says, the early church was a spirit-empowered community. Of that, there can be no doubt. From the day of Pentecost onward, the book of Acts is a story of Holy Spirit breakthrough, speaking in other languages, prophesying, healing, casting out demons, angelic encounters, uh, miraculous prison breaks, visions, dreams, evangelistic preaching, buildings shaking, the dead being supernaturally brought to life, boldness in the face of persecution, joy, and even one story of teleportation. And of course, we see these things clearly uh, in the life of the apostles. And one of the verses that just haunts me is Paul's statement when he's kind of summing up his ministry. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. And what he says is this. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. See, that, that was actually how the Apostle Paul, that's how his ministry went forward. And again, it can be tempting to think, well, you know, well, that's the Apostle Paul. I mean, we're, we're talking about the apostles here. Surely this can't apply to us. But what is so fascinating, as you read the book of Acts, we see many people listed who were not apostles who engaged in the very same form of ministry. People who actually uh, God used for miracles and, and healing and deliverance uh, and, and, and prophetic ministry. People like we read of people like Stephen and, and Philip and uh, Ananias and, and Agabus and, and so on. None of whom uh, were apostles, but all of whom God used in uh, these ways. And... Um, there are also anonymous miracles and things recorded. And so what we see here is a picture that these sorts of things were actually normal in the early church. These were not abnormal, okay? Now, when it comes to uh, applying this, uh, here's the challenge I think we face. It's that we read this and we say, that's amazing. But I've never experienced that. And so therefore... This must just be like a history book, right? And so maybe this doesn't apply to us in any kind of ongoing way. And, and so I think that's, that's and, and I totally get that. And I think that's a very, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a real temptation. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll address that in a moment, but I think like we've been, I've been kind of doing so many scriptures. Let me just sprinkle in a story here, um, kind of lighten things up. So my first, um, I don't know what you want to say, experience of some of the things we're talking about here. Uh, in terms of uh, experiencing the power of the Spirit for something kind of we might call supernatural ministry was I was I was a I'll back up backstory. So when I was a college freshman at Cal Poly, uh, I was not smart enough to wear flip flops in the shower. And so uh, at the end of my freshman year at Cal Poly, the dorms left me a parting gift in the form 
of a large wart on my toe, and it kept growing and growing. Sorry, it's gross. Sorry. Should have given like a little warning label on this message. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Woo. And uh, this thing kept growing, and so I went to the dermatologist, and the dermatologist froze it off with liquid nitrogen, but it came back. So I went to the dermatologist a second time, froze it off again with liquid nitrogen, and this time applied fire beetle juice extract. And so I'm thinking, we're good. We have to be good. Guess what? It came back. I'm thinking, oh no. Went back to the dermatologist a third time. Same thing. He threw everything at it he had. This wart came back. It would not give up. I was so, at this point, I just gave up. I just resigned myself. And I was literally like losing my toenail. I'm like, I don't know where this thing's going. I pray it doesn't like go beyond this toe. You know, it was like, I'm like, what? it was bad. I just, I just kind of gave up one day. So right around this time. So I, I, even though I grew up in a Christian background, I didn't, I wasn't really following Jesus until my freshman year in college. God got a hold of my life. And I actually started reading the Bible for the first time in my life. And as I read the gospels, I was just blown away by I mean, all these things of like healing and deliverance and spiritual gifts and, and all these things. Like, why have I never heard a single sermon about any of this? There was just so much. Why have I heard nothing about this? I'll share an aside on this. John Wimber, who was the leader of the Vineyard Movement back in the day, he, um, when he came to Christ, he had the same experience. And so he went to the leaders of his church and he said, what, when, when are we going to learn to do this stuff? And they said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, the stuff Jesus did. And he's like, oh, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't do that. We just talk about it. You see, too often we just talk about it. But I read the Bible with a very simple hermeneutic. I simply believed what I read, and I tried to put it into practice. And if you simply do that, uh, you know, it'll take you a long ways. And so there was this one day I was, I was just, I don't know, I just read the Bible. I was just sitting there, and I felt like this, it wasn't like a word. I didn't like hear the voice of God. I just felt like this nudge from the Holy Spirit to like lay my hand on that word and say, in Jesus' name be healed. Now, I'd never done that. I'd never seen anyone do that. But as I reflected on what I was reading in Scripture, I I recalled that, you know, when Jesus ministered healing, he didn't have these big, long, flowery prayers. He didn't qualify everything. Well, God, you know, if, you know, if it be your will, and, but we know, and da, da, da. You know, it was just very simple, concise, to the point. And actually, he, he prayed with authority, and usually it was in the form of a command. He would just say things like, be healed, see walk. He rebuked the fever. I'm thinking, okay, I think this might be the Lord, but even if it isn't, what's the harm? What's the harm? And so I laid my hand on that word and I said, in Jesus' name, be healed. Didn't feel anything. Didn't experience anything. I'm like, okay, well, who knows? Next morning I wake up, that thing was dead. It fell off and it never came back. Yeah, praise God. <laughs> And uh, my mom was the one who took me to the dermatologist a couple times. So for years, she was in disbelief. Now, she's a woman of faith, but she was in disbelief. And so she would ask me every so often. Like, this went on for years. Did it come back? I said, didn't come back. She just couldn't believe it. Now she believes it, but it's just, it's amazing. So anyway, so a little random. But that was kind of my, again, just my first kind of entry point, just I don't know, this is what I see in Scripture, this is what I see Jesus did. I, I feel this nudge from the Spirit, and wow, I just experienced my first, I don't know, healing. Uh, so, you know, that was, that, that, was, that was really encouraging for me. That really encouraged my faith. And you might think, well, that was just a wart. But again, that, you have no idea what that did for my faith and my confidence in Jesus Christ.
And, and so I, I just, I, I hope that encourages you. But just let me get back to the kind of this, this argument. Then I'll kind of maybe share a couple stories and we'll kind of apply this to our lives. But um, so, so again, I, I think when, when, when we read something like uh, the Gospels or the book of Acts, we can be tempted to, again, think, well, gosh, I, I, you know, I haven't experienced this. And to then therefore say, well, maybe this must just be basically history. And I, again, I totally get that. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think that works because as you read through the New Testament, you just see this stuff throughout. And so, for example, when the Apostle Paul writes letters to churches or uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes letters to churches, they just assume that they are actually experiencing uh, manifestation of God's, uh, the power of God's Spirit, uh, and they just, they just assume it's happening, okay? So, for example... Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. And by the way, this is not like the go-to book for charismatics and mystics. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 6. Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And just notice kind of how just how casual he is about that. He's just like so casual. He just assumes that this is part of, of what's happening in the Roman church. Uh, and, and interestingly, he lists that as the first gift. I don't have time to comment on that, but it's interesting. Uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul asks, Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Now, now this is just a sentence. But notice that Paul doesn't feel the need to address why miracles or what miracles. He just assumes that there are miracles happening in Galatia. And he doesn't even say, you know, remember that one miracle that happened, you know, two years ago with sister so-and-so, you know, was that because, uh, you know, you're good or because God's good? He actually says, does God work miracles plural among you? Is that happening because you are a good person or because God is a good God? First Timothy uh, chapter one, verse 18. This is the apostle Paul again. He's writing to a, a young church leader named Timothy. And he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Fascinating text. Uh, Timothy, young leader, facing various challenges uh, in the church in Ephesus. And how does Paul encourage him? Interestingly, by reminding him of a prophetic word that was actually given to him by his grandmother. Uh, he's not quoting Jeremiah 29, 11 to him. He's reminding him of a prophetic word that his grandmother given him to embolden him, to strengthen him. I don't know if you've ever had an experience. Have you ever had someone give you a prophetic word like that, that really just encouraged you or strengthened you or rocked your world? Uh, I, if I see some nods, I, I've had that happen. I don't come from that kind of background, uh, but as, as I've been following Jesus for many years now, I've actually experienced this many times. And so I'll share one story just to illustrate this. So this was some years ago. I was at a Christian conference, and while I was there, I was just really struggling with feelings of condemnation. Now, I knew the Bible well. I knew that Romans says uh, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, um, but I'm one of those people, I struggle uh, to forgive myself. I can beat myself up. I, I struggle to receive God's grace and mercy. And so I was just kind of feeling all this, I don't know, like this condemnation and all this stuff. I was just kind of in a funk. I was in a bad place. And, and this was a time of worship and prayer at this conference. And a guy who I've never met in my entire life walked up to me. This is, this is what's real in my heart at this moment. No one else in the world knows this, but this is where I'm wrestling with God in that moment. A guy I've never met in my life walks up to me and he says, Michael, when God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint. 
And he went on to speak very, very specific words into my life that were just dead on. And I can tell you that was life transforming. Again, I already knew all the relevant scriptures, but somehow that helped me kind of believe it not just up here, but down here. Wow, there really is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and that's something that I've been able to go back to, like Paul's encouraging Timothy in my life. And so that's just one example. I could share many, many like this, of how God has used this kind of ministry uh, in my life to encourage me greatly. Uh, here's another scripture. Again, we could just go on a tour for days here. But James chapter 5, 14 through 15, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Again, we could go on and on, but what I hope you're seeing here is is that according to the New Testament, a life empowered uh, by the Holy Spirit for uh, the supernatural works of Jesus, this is just kind of normal Christianity. And, and, and Jesus, again, he lived a life of dependence upon the Spirit. Uh, he, he promised that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and so the invitation is for us to depend on the Spirit as well, in, in all sorts of ways, but what I'm focusing again on today is, is, is these sorts of things. And you know, uh, again, many dimensions to this, but um, uh, looking at things like, again, healing and deliverance and spiritual gifts and that kind of thing. And again, the writers of the New Testament just assume that this is kind of normal Christianity, that we'd experience this in some measure, in, in some, at some frequency, okay? Now, um, there's so much we could talk about here. Goodness. Um, I think, um, okay, do I call an audible? Um, so I'll just, okay, I'll just go wherever we go here. Um, so I think, I think that um, when, yeah, um, yeah, I think one temptation when we um, think about us again, because of our, maybe our lack of experience, the temptation can be to think, well, maybe this just for, for some reason, you know, this kind of died out with the death of the apostles and, 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 uh, uh I, I think that's actually hard to maintain based on all the things we've seen. And again, this could be a long conversation, but I think I'm just going to share a little bit, a few quotes from church history. I wish I had more time. Um, I'm going to share maybe just a couple quotes from church history to illustrate for you that these things continue well beyond then. So I'll try to make this quick. And so these, you might not recognize these names, but these are actually like heavy hitters. These are like our spiritual great, 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 great grandparents. Okay. And so these names, if you've read church history, these are serious names. So Justin Martyr, 8160, he says, for the prophetical prophetical gifts remain with us even to the present time. In other words, even they, they didn't stop. Um, uh, Origen, this is, uh, uh, is the guy's name from AD 248. He says, we have to say, moreover, that the gospel has a demonstration of its own, more divine than any established by Grecian dialects. And this diviner method is called by the apostle the demonstration of the spirit and of power of the spear on account of the prophecies which are sufficient to produce in anyone who reads them, especially those things which relate to Christ and of power because of the signs and wonders which we must believe to have been performed both on many other grounds and on this, note this, that traces of them are still preserved among those who regulate their lives by the precepts of the gospel. And I just love his argument because he's saying, you know who sees this stuff still? He says, it's those whose life is consumed by the precepts of the gospel. Those are the people who are walking in these things, who are abiding in the power of Jesus. That's who. Um, I'm going to skip forward. I could quote, 
I know some of you just really want me to quote Basil the Great, um, <laughs> the Venerable Bede. I mean, I could quote some awesome people. Uh, uh, St. Augustine, I'll just uh, mention him. So I, I, I had to study him in Dave Horner's class when I was in grad school. So I'll, I'll give a Augustine reference for Dave here. So in his book, The City of God, which Dave actually made me read, read many years ago, uh, Augustine has this whole chapter where he's just at, indignant at the idea that God is not miraculously moving among his church. And, and Augustine argued that he himself personally had witnessed an extraordinary range of healings from blindness to breast cancer to gout to paralysis to hernia to demonization, even to death. And again, we could just keep going and going and going. Um, but um, what should we conclude from all this? And I think it's this, that Jesus, he, <clears throat> excuse me, he wasn't shining us on when he promised us that we would experience the same power of the Spirit that he himself relied on. And so I, I, I firmly believe on the basis of everything we've seen that Jesus is actually, he's actually a model for us, that he wants us to live lives empowered by the Spirit. He wants us to actually have lives that cannot be explained by our own efforts alone. Like the Apostle Paul, he said, I, I didn't come among you with wise and persuasive words. He didn't want his own speaking skills to be able to explain the fruit in his ministry. He said, I want actually the power of God. I, I came among you with, with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's what I want. I want God to be glorified. I want the power of God to go forth through my ministry. And that was actually crucial to his mission to uh, the Gentiles. Now, before we just wrap this up with a little application, uh, I, I'll just share maybe just a, a few stories. I'll try to be as, as, as brief as I can. So we have a friend who used to be part of our church who was actually healed of prostate cancer. Uh, and he was... Uh, he, his, his, he had uh, uh, the scans before, and some of the best uh, people in the country read those scans and said, you definitely have prostate cancer. Before he started treatment, he came to a healing prayer service we hosted here. He received prayer, and he said, I want to get scanned one more time before I begin treatment. When they scanned him again, there was no cancer present. No cancer present. Again, some of the best people in the country read these scans, confirmed this, and when the doctor called to inform him of this, he said, I have no explanation of this. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> this is around November. No explanation. He, he, he experienced healing through prayer. Uh, our, our dear friend Dave Horner has experienced some significant healing recently. I know he shared last month when I was out of town. You can listen to that online. Um, we've seen many people, I've seen many people experience healing through the power of the Holy Spirit, not because of our power, but because God is, is a God who's alive and well and at work in the world. And he actually wants us to partner with him. And, and we do that by relying on the Holy Spirit through prayer, through these sorts of things. Um, Okay, this is kind of a personal story, but I felt led just to share this, so I'm going to do it, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so my first year in grad school, I, uh, I went through um, a major depressive episode. It started as mere grief, but it turned into a, a full-blown, like, major depressive episode. Lots of things to it. Um, life got so bad that it was like a waking nightmare for me. It got so bad, and I don't share this lightly, I did not want to live. Now, thankfully, because of my theology, I would never do something to hurt myself. But I can tell you that I prayed that God would take me out because life was so bad. And I just, I didn't want to be here anymore. And um, uh, one day I heard that um, a guy named J.P. Moreland, who was a professor at the seminary I was attending, was going to be sharing his story that he is just coming back from sabbatical, that he had been through his own struggles with depression, anxiety, and that now he was on the other side of that. So he was going to share his story. I'm like, I've got to hear this. So I went, he shared his story, and so much of what he shared was like, oh my goodness, I can so relate to this. 
And part of what he talked about, how we are these holistic beings with different elements. So we've got physical bodies, so we have to care for that. So he talked about his brain chemistry got whacked. And so he went and saw a psychiatrist. I'm like, yep, that's, that's, that's a good idea. I just started doing that. A Christian psychiatrist. He also talked about, well, we have emotions. and There's this whole side of us. And so he spent some time with the counselor. Okay, I just started doing that. Okay, that's good. Uh, he talked about we need to open up. We need community. We need people in our lives. We need relationships and support. Like, okay, that's good. I'm not doing that. Um, uh, and then the last thing he talked about was, and this was a new thought for me, he says, but there's also part of his journey, he said, this wasn't the whole thing, but a significant part of it was actually spiritual attack. And I thought, huh, that's really interesting. Well, he concludes his, 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 his talk, and, and at the end, he, he prays for the people, a bunch of grad students like myself, and he's praying just kind of a standard prayer. I mean, this is just kind of a standard prayer, but at one point, he stops, and it's like, you could tell, like, he obviously got some sort of discernment from God, and he started praying against spiritual attack in the room. And as soon as he did, I felt this warmth come from the top of my head down to the tips of my toes. And, and I, I didn't know like, exactly what was going on, but I just felt really close to God. The only language I can use to describe it is to say I felt like I was being filled with the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what was going on, um, but when he ended the prayer, that kind of subsided. And I said, I don't know what that was, but God, thank you. I went home into my little apartment. And when I got back, I realized, wait a second, I'm smiling for the first time in months. And I was just kind of pacing around my apartment. Eventually, I'm kind of like Rocky, like, I'm like, I just felt like I came to the conclusion, and this is very hard for me to come to, because this bumped up against my theology at the time, but that I felt like I had been delivered of an evil presence. And again, I had this naive theology, like, well, either you're like the garrison demoniac, and you're just out of your mind, or you're like in this invincible bubble, and nothing can even get anything here. And that's just not biblical. St. Paul said that do not let the sun go down on your anger, lest you give the devil a foothold. In other words, as a Christian, he's writing to a church, you can actually give the devil a foothold in your life. I don't think you're going to get possessed, but I'm just saying that he can actually mess with you way more than I realized. But this was my experience was so overwhelming. Like I, That's the only conclusion I can come to. Right then, I got a call from my mom. I do not come from a charismatic background. She said, um, you're never going to believe this. Two people had prophetic words for you today. I said, really? I've never had one, let alone two in one day. Uh, bring it on. Like, what, what, what happened? And uh, she said, well, first is your Aunt Susan that she was praying for you today. She felt like the Lord wanted you to know that this, wasn't, this isn't going to go on and on. And I can't tell you how encouraging that was because when you're in a deep, dark depression, you fear that this could be the rest of my life, that like my life is over and that this is it. And, and it's like, wow, that is so encouraging. Um, I don't know if I believed it, but I, that was encouraging. Then she says, but then my friend Jolyn, who is a, a woman who leads um, a, a ministry in a, the rough part of my hometown, there's like, she's like a, just like an amazing woman, like, like amazing character. Like I knew like this woman is legit. Like she works with like gang members and like she is legit. So what did she say? She said, uh, we were at this little small group and she said, I feel like the Lord's giving me a word for your son and that the Lord wants him to know this isn't going to go on and on. He's going to be okay. But I felt like the Lord also said that the Lord is allowing him to be sifted. He's allowing it for his purpose that once he has turned, that he's actually going to strengthen his brothers. And she said a few other things, like you need to open up the community and some other things that I needed to do. I'm like, wow, I don't know exactly what that means, sifted, but that just like, yeah, it just like resonates with my experience. I just feel like it's been like sifted. Right then I got a knock on my door. I said, mom, I'm going to have to call you back. There's a guy who lived across from me in grad housing. And this guy, he doesn't have a charismatic bone in his body. 
I mean, this is like way outside his comfort zone, but he said, and he just looked so awkward. He was standing out in front of my door with his Bible open. He just looked like so sheepish. I'm like, what, what's going on, man? And he said, uh, I don't know if you'll believe this. He said, I was in my bathroom and um, I felt like I heard God say, give Michael this scripture. He said, but it's a weird one. I'm like, okay, bring it on. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail, and that once you have turned, that you would strengthen your brothers. I said, whoa. I like fell down on my couch. I like, whoa, you got to come in, man. So I just shared with him the whole story. And that wasn't the end of my journey. I still, you know, met with the counselors, things I needed to do to, to heal up. But that was like a crucial just turning point in my life. And I just want you to see that like had those people, had JP not had the discernment to pray and the courage to pray and to share his story, had my Aunt Susan, had the woman JoLynn, my, my, my buddy Ed, had they not taken that step of faith to listen to and rely on the Holy Spirit, I don't know if I would be here today. I really don't. And so I share it to encourage us all. God is working. I think sometimes when you read these things in scripture, you, you feel like, well, there's going to be fireworks. You're going to hear like an audible voice of God. No, actually for me at least, so often, it's just like that still small voice. Actually, so often it's just like so subtle. But it's learning how to tune in to what God is doing and just saying yes. Just saying yes. I think that's so much of what this journey of relying on and being powered by the Holy Spirit is. Just, just saying yes. So let me just share as I land this plane, crash land this thing here. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, so much I could say, but I, I just, I'll just share a sense I have that, that I, I believe that, um, I, I believe I, I had a dream, uh, this past, um, so share. So, uh, this summer I read the book of Daniel and, um, one of the things I see in Daniel's life that he, he had these prophetic dreams and he also, God gave him an ability to interpret dreams and that God used that to enable him to have this amazing impact in the secular pagan society. And so I read that this summer, I thought, God, I would love to have prophetic dreams. See, I'm just very simple when I read the Bible. God, I'd love that. And I asked him. He said he's a good father. If you ask for bread, I'm not going to give you stone. I said, God, I'd love that. I'd love prophetic dreams. Well, guess what? I've started having prophetic dreams. I had a, uh, there's a guy who used to be part of a church, moved out of state, um, and I had three very specific dreams about him pursuing ordained ministry. And I was like, I've got to call this guy, see what's going on. Well, before I could even call him, I got a packet in the mail. It was a reference uh, reference check on, uh, for, on his behalf from our denomination because he's pursuing ordained ministry. I'm like, how about it? That's interesting. You know, well... Uh, this past Sunday, I'm not going to get into details. I had a dream, and uh, if it is of the Lord, I, I think we're going to see more of this stuff among us. I don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't know exactly when, but I just share all this because I feel like God wants us to have an imagination for this kind of thing. He wants us to have openness. He Also, I think he wants us to be actually be desirous and even a, a sense of, of expectancy. Uh, Jesus said, you know, ask, seek, knock. He, and Paul said, you know, eagerly desire the greater gifts, not be skeptical or squeamish, but actually eagerly desire the greater gifts. Why? Because these are the gifts that are most apt to build up the body of Christ and to further the kingdom of God. And so I just and, and share that with you as an encouragement. And I, I suspect there are probably people here today in, in, in different places. Some of you, this is all new to you. And so you might 
help you maybe to read. I would say first start with the Gospels. Just, just read and read the New Testament if you haven't. We have free Bibles in the hall. We would love to give you one of those as a gift as you learn more about Jesus and his life and ministry. Uh, also, I'm going to send out some book recommendations in our weekly email uh, this week. And so uh, if you don't already receive that, if you fill out a Connect card, we would love to resource you in that way. Uh, and so we're also, I mentioned earlier, having a prayer workshop on September 4th. So I invite you to come and learn. I think it's going to be a fantastic time. Now, there's another group of people here. Oh, my goodness, I'm really late. Okay. Okay, I'm hurry up. Another group of people here who, um, uh, you know about this stuff, but if you're honest, you're not very open right now. Uh, and I understand that. And I think for a lot of us, the reason is uh, disappointment. Because uh, some of us, we've prayed for things, and we've prayed for things, and nothing happened. And so we're like, just like we're wrestling. Actually, when I was preparing this message, I just was like feeling like this inner resistance. I'm like, what is this? And I felt like the Lord showed me that's actually, I had fear of disappointment, like fear of what if I like call this to really seek God in this way? And what if we don't experience some of these things in our life? And what, you know, I was just, I was like, oh, wow, God, you see, that's the spirit of fear. That's not the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just had to kind of do business with God. And so some of us today, we might just need to kind of God, like, what is that kind of resistance in my heart? So some of us are there and you might just need to talk with the Lord about that. Some of us, actually, you, you have some knowledge of this and you're open and you're on board and you say, gosh, that sounds wonderful. I would just say, ask. Jesus said, ask. Just, he said, seek, seek. And, uh, and then the last thing is just that as you, if you get a sense of God giving you a leading or a nudge to do something, like, I say, just step out in faith. And you might even get a sense of maybe just a nudge to maybe offer to pray for somebody here, maybe ne- somebody next to you, like they're sharing about something hard in their life. And maybe just listen to that and just offer to pray for them. It can be very simple. Um, um, goodness, had more stories. I'll have to wait for another time. But basically, I, I think just, again, the invitation is just, just to seek, to ask, to not to, to step out in faith. And, um, and it's just in these simple ways that we learn to grow in these things. But uh, I, just, I hope that you hear that, that God is real. Um, I, I had lunch with a pastor friend this past week, and he was asked to speak at a local Christian university uh, on a class in evangelism. And part of what he shared in that time was a bunch of stories of things like this that he's experienced. And what's so fascinating is the overwhelming response of the students in this class who are overwhelmingly, if not exclusively Christian, was, wow, God is real. And I feel like God actually wants to use these things and us to grow in these things in part so that people actually come to that same conclusion and can join us on this journey. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we thank you. You're an amazing God. And we thank you, God, that, Lord, we thank you for your great love. And uh, we just pray for more of you, Holy Spirit, more of your presence, more of your nearness, but also more of your empowering in our lives. Lord, would you give us the grace just to open our hearts to you fully? Would you move among us, God? Would you have your way? And Lord, would you prepare us to meet with you now as we celebrate communion together? In Jesus' name, amen.